Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. There are horror icons. There's Freddy, there's Jason, there's Pinhead, there's Chucky. But then there are iconic horror actors. Fasten your seatbelts. I never set out to become a horror icon. Something I wasn't planning, it's just something that happened. Like most actors, you don't realize that this is gonna be a life-changing moment. If the guy behind the makeup isn't selling it right, then it doesn't work. Can't have any style of film without having a charismatic person at the helm. He brought so much into Freddy, the way he built Freddy. Robert still managed to make him not just horrific, but likable. That's why you hire an actor. And he's Robert f***ing England, for God's sake. Now that's some prime time. We made a lot of fun of him and what Freddie had become, and it was just really amusing and crazy. There was a huge crowd. They started rocking the trailer. It was scary. I mean, we thought we were going to be tipped over. I didn't know this shit was so serious. Freddie killed children, and he had a television show. And it really appeals to a young audience because they enjoy the rending of these bodies on screen. And so Robert is a de facto uncle to this audience. Mr. Knifey Hands is here, I think. I think I'm going to partying with Robert more than I ended up working with him. I like it. <laughs> here was a guy, as a character actor, could have, I think, done anything. However, having done Freddy, he's iconic, and yet it was oddly limiting for him. And I think assumptions get made about horror actors that they're less than, and it, it's unfair. I thought a little bit about fighting it. Robert walked in, and I thought, oh, this is just so right. <laughs> I just go to Robert. I need you to play Buckman. I'll only do it if it's hee-haw and acid. Well, you He's hyper aware of what lens is on the camera. What's the, not just what's the angle of view, but what's the lens. He's one of those film actors who understands film. Robert as a fellow actor is a dream. He's Shakespearean. Robert Eglin's a great actor. It's as plain as that. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 535. Released in June 6th exclusively on Screenbox is Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, The Robert Englund Story, a documentary that delves into the career of actor Robert Englund from Hollywood character actor to horror icon with his performance as Freddy Krueger in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Featuring interviews with Lance Henriksen, Lynn Shea, Eli Roth and more, Hollywood Dreams and Monsters, Robert Englund's story is an intimate and fascinating exploration of an unsung character, a career that goes beyond Freddy Krueger. And joining me now are the directors of Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, Mr. Christopher Griffiths and Gary Smart. Christopher, Gary, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks very much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. So, Christopher, you know, this documentary is a long time in the making, right? I know you first spoke to um, Robert back in 2018. I think you started filming interviews in 2019. Things wrapped up last year. Um, so, you know, when you put that much work into a documentary, which I know you guys do, you put a lot of research, a lot of interviews, a lot of work, a lot of editing. 
there has to be a passion behind that, right? An emphasis into why you're delving into that subject. What is it about Robert's career outside of like the whole kind of like Freddy Krueger thing, um, which everyone knows him for? They really kind of spoke to you both as filmmakers, as storytellers, documentarians. They really wanted you to dive into this, um, into this subject, knowing that this is going to take a year, two years, even more to get done. So, well, for me, in terms of like the the appeal of Robert's career, um, I'll let Gary sort of sort of um, go to how we got involved with him. But for me, I've used this anecdote. God knows how many times, and it's very crass. We're in a day and age now where someone, if you fart in a microphone on TikTok, you're a celebrity. That's it. Mm. This is Robert comes and many like him as well come from a period of time where, you know, they had to work their asses off to get to where they got to. Now, don't get me wrong. I appreciate there's a certain element of time and place, luck, you know, and serendipity when getting certain roles. But I think, you know, what's amazing about this and obviously coming around uh, the Freddy Krueger role, Robert was working in Hollywood for somewhere in the region of 12 to 14 years before he became Freddy and even before he became uh, William V. And so it's almost like this journeyman actor story going on, which I think is an instant win for me in terms of like, you know, you've got my attention right there to then reaching that the zenith of being like one of the world's most revered horror icons and then just watching that career almost like 180. So that Mm. was one of the biggest, biggest uh, appeals for me really with this project. Gary, I've got to speak to you just about the element, the whole character actor element that Christopher was touching on right there. When I was watching the documentary, I noted I had on my in my in my in my notes here, which I wrote down a couple of times actually, was a constant surprise because I keep forgetting about all these roles that he had before um, Nightmare on Elm Street. And it kind of reminds me about how a lot of these actors, Tobin Bell, for example, from Saw, I remember watching him in a Seinfeld episode like years before Saw even came out. Like these guys have been around, they've done the hard knocks. When it came to Robert's career, Gary, what kind of films or roles were you kind of surprised by that when you dived into his history as an actor, you went, oh, my God, I forgot he was in that? Because for me, the whole end of summer thing, I totally forgot about that, to you the truth, because, you know, he did the narration, but he changed his voice a little bit, but that was kind of like a, a big surprise for me. Yeah, I think for me, it was anything really pre-V, um, more than anything. You know, I kind of, you know, I think Robert's so, and again, the whole point of his documentary is this, you know, but Robert is so linked to Freddy Krueger and so linked to horror more than anything. You know, his later career is very much the horror kind of character or obviously, you know, working as cameos in horror films. So for me, it was films that I didn't even know about really. And that was like Buster and Billy and uh, Stay Hungry. You know, I kind of knew a little bit about Robert, Eng- Robert England star in, in an Arnold Schwarzenegger film, but I didn't know much about it. And again, because we know when you're growing up, you don't like to watch dramas as a kid, really, do you? You know, it's very much horror and gore and, and comedies. So for me, it was like, ex- you know, exploring that side of his career and and learning about what he'd done as a character. And as you said, you know, Robert is the epitome of a journeyman character actor, somebody who started in, in the theatre and has gone to, you know, his role after role after role, sidekick role, cowboy, kind of like, you know, a little bit of a nasty character in films like, you know, Eaten Alive. And he finally finds that role, which defines him, like Tobin Bell, as you said, with regards to Saw. And it's great to see that in somebody's career where they've got a long career. As Chris said you know, earlier on about today's age, it's, it's a lot different than it was before. You had to really work your socks off. And most of the time, it's through the theatre. 
you know, you work through the theatre, work your way up through there, through the ranks, and then get into film, and then become the sidekick and cameo and small part. And that was, for me, exploring that part of Robert's career, that this guy has so much before Freddie, which we don't know about, you know, and, and as you said, mm. you know, it's a surprise, you know, it's like, you know, these shot kind of things. Oh, he was in that. Oh, he was, he starred with Sid Tahey in this. Oh, that was a horror film as well. I didn't know about Galaxy of Terror. Oh, that's had, you know, James Cameron, you know, as, as the, the, the art director in it. So I think that for me was the biggest kind of thing about that character actor's journey. And I'm glad we captured that because we, you know, we had a close friend, Don Kaufer from Return of the Dead, who was a character actor. And he used to call himself a journeyman actor. I think Robert is there as well. You know, he's somebody who's had his very long journey to get to that role, which defines him. And then he's embraced that role. Christopher, you know, when I watched the film and I listened to Robert in the in the movie, the two things that really kind of come come that really speak to me about him as a person is his generosity and his humility. Um, he puts people at ease. You can really tell by the other interviewees in the movie. You know, he either as a, a mentor or a collaborator or just like just just as a friend or, or what have you. He's the kind of guy that that no matter what stature he has on a film set, he's going to kind of be there and help you out and, and, and such. And the other interesting thing about him is that the whole humility aspect, you know, from what I understand, this documentary originally was supposed to be called Icon, and he's like, I don't want that. That's not for me. I'm not, I don't want to be perceived as that. That's not my idea. And I think that says a lot about his character, right? I mean, a lot. I think a lot of people, actors will go, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I'll go with that. But he, <laughs> he wasn't having any of that, was he? He was, it's been, it's, it is, it's very interesting. So it's it's particularly interesting for the angle I came in on this project as well. So this is like, you know, Robodox, my baby, <laughs> Pennywise was John's, you know, we, we all have to say, oh, that's, you know, Gary's one. Um, and this was in particular Gary's one, but obviously I've worked very close with him and developed that same fondness for the project. I wasn't there for Robert's first interview. Um, but, and I knew the stories about him and everything. And obviously doing the edit, I worked through the countless hours of footage we had of his interview, uh, and then assembled it. You know, you get an idea of someone's character and it, and that's the main thing. I think hopefully anyway, it really translates on screen what he's really like. And in particular, what was interesting for me is I didn't really get to spend a great deal of time with Robert until we had the premiere in Sitches last year. Mm being with him sitting with him it's like oh my god yeah yeah fair play we've nailed it that is absolutely him and a few interesting things actually happened at Sitges, to be honest and that for me was well how he wanted to watch the film the first time he didn't want to watch it he was you could see the anxiety and i totally appreciate that you know this is someone that's like oh it's about you we love you you know you've done what you you can't not know you've done well with the whole Freddy Krueger thing because you've just got all this adoration from fans who come and see you at conventions and want stuff signed. Um, but yet still, as you said, with that icon anecdote, you know, he still has that humble nature about him. So he only wanted to watch it, funny enough, on uh this laptop I'm speaking to you on now in our hotel room. That's how he wanted to watch it. He was too scared to watch it on, you know, the screen, the big screen, you know, just in terms of the ego factor. And then the second thing was uh, everywhere we went, he was mobbed by crowds of people. We tried mm-hmm. to think it was because of us, but we just got shoved mm-hmm. out of the way. So we started pretending to be like, you know, um, undercover security or something. But um, he would stop and sign everyone's autographs. And he, we've had long days. I'm knackered. 
And yet he will stop for every person, sign, chat, do that, you know, and and the poor bugger was probably knackered by the end of the day. So yeah, he's incredibly humble. It's interesting though. He's very out, not outspoken, but he can talk a bit like I'm doing right now, but you can't shut him up and he will go on about this and he will name drop these people, but there's never ego in his cadence. It's always just absolute love. He can talk about films until the cows come home. Have you seen this? Have you seen, you know, I, I know he's a big Brian De Palma fan because God knows how many times I've heard the anecdotes of, you know, oh, sisters. Some of the stuff mm. he says in the documentary, he can still say, you know, word for word. You can tell it's almost like programmed into him, you know, all, all these kind of, you know, he's like a walking IMDb, I think. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by T Public. T Public is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, TeePublic is sure to have something you'll love. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Amazon. The world's leading online store, Amazon is your first stop to buy a wide range of products at competitive prices with fast delivery times. Amazon is also a world-class entertainment hub that includes Prime Video, Audible, Twitch, Amazon Music, and more. Sign up with Amazon today and experience the best in online shopping and entertainment. Please support Matt's movie reviews on Patreon. Get access to exclusive content, request movie reviews and top 10 lists, and help support my work. Please click on the Patreon link in the description below. Um, Gary, you know, we talked about, well, you mentioned about like Hollywood now as, as compared to Hollywood back when uh, Robert that Robert kind of rosing, you know, the whole kind of aspect yeah. of the journeyman actor, the character actor. Something that I find really interesting over the last 10 to 15 years, especially in regards to, to Robert's career, is that when he found Freddy Krueger, the whole notion of Nightmare in Elm Street was really based around the center of that character. The world was built around the character. And there was all these different franchises at the time, especially in horror, where the world was built about the character, your Mike Myers, your Leatherface, et cetera. Now, nowadays, it's all built about around the universe. It's not about yeah. one central character anymore. It's about world-building universes, et cetera. And maybe you can make, you know, a comparison to, like, what Robert Downey Jr. did with Iron Man, et cetera, right? But a lot of time, there's a lot of swapping and, and such when it comes to the character, the one character itself. Why do you think that these days the world-building is much more uh, prevalent as opposed to focusing on the one character these days? Because I don't know about you, but if just say there was another Nightmare on Elm Street series made today, I have a feeling that the support, the other characters, like the uh, supporting characters, for example, for example, will probably get more shine than the monster would. Because I think the monster will probably use more like as an allegory than anything else, and everything yeah. around him will be more of the focus than anything else. Why do you think that kind of changes? It just comes down to the to the to the to the point that maybe. I don't know, there's more uh, interest in, like, developing other characters because then you can spin off those characters into different worlds yeah, as well? Yeah, I think, I, I think, if I'm being very honest, it's, it's a business decision. I think it's about, obviously, you know, you create a Marvel universe, you've got a massive um, business opportunity then to develop characters, spin-offs, merchandise. And I think that, you know, that's being very cynical on it, but, you know, you're losing some of the character arcs then particularly, but also, you know, when you've got 20-odd Marvel movies, you can have crossovers and it kind of works a little bit. 
we worked very well for Marvel at one stage. We had dips and what now. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, maybe just saved it again in terms of obviously that kind of universe had created. I think that's probably what it is, if I'm being really honest. But I think, you know, when you look at Nightmare on Elm Street, particularly if you did a new one and had Robert involved, I think the dreamscape element of it is an opportunity to develop, really. I think, you could, you know, we tried to do Freddy's Nightmares, didn't they, in, in the 80s, you know, regards to the series. It wasn't just about Freddy, it was about other nightmares. But I think you could probably do something now in the universe around that dreamscape. Where has Freddy come from? Why he's, you know, I know he's explored it in Freddy's Dead, but why has Freddy been allowed to be his entity? What else is behind the scenes? And then Freddy could be peppered throughout that kind of universe friends, this antagonist, like your probably your Thanos kind of character or Kang, who's there behind the scenes pulling the strings. And obviously then he, he comes to the forefront. But I think, yeah, I think my, my concern is maybe some decisions nowadays in movies are about business. And you look at the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, it's again sign of its time. Freddy's central to that. The heroes come and go. Different one most films. Nancy reappears every now and again. Obviously, three films she appears in, or well, two obviously as Nancy. Um, mm. You look at Stranger Things now. You got a group of you know, heroes, and you got a villain what pops up from se- in season four, which is meant to be you know is supposed to be pulling the strings from season one. So. You know, I, I think it's the sign of times we live in where there's more scope to develop stories and more scope to develop a universe. Uh, there's more money, you know, <laughs> there's more, uh, you know, opportunities where, than there was probably back then. Is it a good thing? Potentially. I don't think it worked potentially well for maybe the horror genre unless you start doing some expendables kind of mashup where other characters do cross over in the worlds and you maybe get a link to Freddy, to Pinhead, you maybe get a link to Jason. That may work, but again, you may lose how important that character is to that film. I think it's like what Anthony Mackie said, didn't he? There's that infamous clip of him on a convention, which always hits home for me, where, you know, people don't want to see Anthony Mackie. They want to see his character. I can't yeah. remember which uh, the winged character is. Uh, I'm <laughs> not a huge Marvel fan. That's the one, sorry. But like he said, you know, back in the day, you would go and see a Schwarzenegger movie. You'd go and see a Stallone yeah, movie. Right, yeah. Now, no, you're not. You're going to see the the big umbrella brand or whatever it is. And I think, like, you know, of course we've still got stars. Still, you know, I can't honestly say, apart from the Marvel characters, I think there's maybe people of a certain age, <laughs> us, um, where you'd be like, oh, yeah, Robert Downey Jr., you know, the guy who was into all his drugs and he was in stuff like Natural Born Killers and now he's Iron Man. You know, there's that mm. kind of, resonance but in terms of like for kids now and audiences modern audiences you're just being fed no it's this thing it's this it's this product and everything like that so like you know it's it's fortunate in a way nightmare on elm street happened when it did because people can associate like that's what kind of helped uh bring robert's star power up i mean as as a kid being into genre films i always remember like an article where in a movie magazine at my dentist of all places where it was robocop it was peter weller it was Pinhead, it was Doug Bradley, Robert England, uh, Freddy Krueger. And so that era was able to kind of develop stars and then help them go on these career, you know, further their careers in that genre. Whereas in this day and age now, horror is not too bad, to be honest, but in a way, I think they try and shy away a bit from star power, you know, and in a way that's kind of, I do like how horror is, to be honest, is utilizing unknown people. But that kind of, I think it's now based on product and as you said world 
building you know god knows i'm sick of like oh it's another spin-off and another mm. spin-off oh and maybe a legacy thing and uh, you know it's 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 grown tired now so i'm very much <laughs> i'm ready to move to the next phase because this sort of era of um the industry's kind of felt like it's lasted mm. a bit too long for my eyes but you know that's just my opinion <laughs> speaking of the next phase the thing about the uh, hollywood dreams and nightmares is that you can almost see it kind of like kind of like a three-act structure it's like a pre-nightmare nightmare and then the post-nightmare right in this this evolution of robert's career i'm really curious what you guys think will be the next step in robert's career because i think for me his future lie will lie again within freddie i don't know what type of form but i think like the whole nightmare thing is prime for revisiting i mean it's really odd in that the film itself the influence of it you see it everywhere Stranger Things, Fear Street, etc. But you don't see that product itself. We had the reboots back. What was that? Two thousand nine or so. It didn't work. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's why Hollywood's a little gun shy now. But I myself can foresee something happening again, and it has to be with Robert as as, as Freddie again as yeah. well. The way about it. Um, what do you think will be more of a chance of us seeing the Nightmare series come back with Robert? Do you foresee movie? Maybe it might be a shared universe thing, or can you foresee TV? I know he did 3D Nightmares, but I think something that could use, like, I don't know, a new version of the Nightmare series, but with Robert again as thing, or maybe like a legacy TV series, for example, could something that could work very well. Because as I said, we see remnants of it everywhere. We don't see it itself. And I think it itself still has. The juice. I mean, look, if they could do Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween and, and Hellraiser over and over again, I can't see why Nightmare yeah. can't get that thing as well. I, I think it's perfect for TV, uh, Elm Street, because, you know, it is a dreamscape, as I mentioned earlier, right? It's perfect. And I think Robert should be involved. When I kind of had a conversation when we had a couple of drinks, you know, would he be involved? And he's, he's quite adamant that he wouldn't be because he's worried about his, you know, his age, you know, he's 75 However, you don't need to be an active, you know, character in physical. You look at Vecna, he just hovers around, Vecna does, and waves his hand about, yet he's a very effective character. Now, I, I know we spoke to Robert. I know he said it's at conventions Robert has, so it's not something I'm telling, obviously, tales. But Robert Robert had an idea about Freddy Krueger, about, you know, Freddy's a myth, and he's, you know, he's this kind of, like, bogeyman, and you know he wears a hat, you know he's got the glove, and you know he's got the striped jumper. However, your interpretation of Freddy Krueger maybe different to my interpretation of Freddy Krueger and Chris's interpretation. So when we have our dreamscape, we will be introduced to a Freddy who's haunting us in our dreams, who maybe looks a little bit different. Maybe it's not a fedora, it's a baseball cap, maybe it's a pork pie hat, maybe you know, it's not a jumper, it's a jersey. And then his idea was at the very end of that accumulation of his dreams, the real essence of Freddy comes out and it's the puppet master. And that could be Robert playing that role. So I think there's opportunities there. And I'd love to see, and I kind of like nagged him when we were having a drink, went for a meal with him and Nancy. There was quite a few people actually uh, when we was in Sitches and I was sitting next to him. I said, you know, would you do it? And he kind of winked a little bit at me. I think he'll do it. I think if the opportunities there where it's not going to be too, you know, physical for him, because, you know, you just worry about being 70, 75. But why do a new Elm Street without having Robert? And I know that the rights are kind of tied up with the Wes Craven estate now because after a certain amount of years, the writer retains the rights to their franchise. 
that's now gone to the Craven estate. So that's obviously a conversation that they have to have with, with Warner. And, and, you, and I know Blumhouse is desperate to do it. And I know that mm. Jason Blumhouse said, if I'm going to do it, Robert's going to be in it. And I, I imagine he'll show the cash, you know, and it's about money, isn't it? It's about business. You know, for a fact, if you put a, Robert, a Freddy Krueger film at the cinema and you put Robert in it, in reason, like Tony Todd, Tony Todd's in that rem- in that new film for what at sequel for 10 seconds and it's a CGI version of his face, yet the hardcore nostalgia fans went there because they wanted to see Tony Todd again and had to wait an hour and 40 minutes to see a CGI face. People would do the same for Robert, I think, you know, and I, I think it's going to happen. I think something will happen mm. with it. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I think maybe the potential of artificial intelligence might have a, might have a, a role yeah. in it as well. Who knows? Who knows if there's some type of stock footage or whatever they can use, like it did with the new indie yeah. film, supposedly. So, who knows for that? Um, so I got to say, guys, I really just want to congratulate you both for this movie. It's really, it was really fascinating to watch because I know about the Nightmare series, but it was to my, um, uh, to my shame that I didn't know enough about Robert and to watch this film to know more about him. I think. Uh, it was a really great thing. It's, it's a service to both of you for the hard work you put in. And for everyone listening, June 6th, exclusively on Screenbox, Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert Unglund story. There's a lot of horror documentaries out there, and some of the best ones, i got to say, are made by two these two gentlemen right here, and this is well, another you. one that goes on top of that. Um, I really enjoy watching the documentaries. As soon as I saw that this was available, I knew I had to watch this, and I had to talk to you guys about it. And um, I can't wait for when you, you guys do the next one, because like I said, Chris, we spoke before about Pennywise, love that, and I love this film too, and I can't see, I can't wait to see what else comes out. So congratulations to you both. Yeah, we really appreciate well, thank it. Thank you very much, thank mate. You. Should have RoboDoc by the end of the year, hopefully as well, after seven years. So just make sure you've got four hours spare over a couple of weeks because it's being released episodically. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep pumping them out as long as the audience is there. <laughs>